Okay, for our first message today, it's going to be brought to us by Mr. Art Williams, and his title is Fruits and Works. I was thinking during the week just what Curtis mentioned in the opening prayer, just how much we need the kingdom to come and how much we need God's help. And I got motivated over on fruits and works. And something we probably all know very, very well. But there is a little bit of a contrast between fruits and works. And there are a number of different uh, words that are used for some of them. And so I found it to be an interesting study. So I thought I'd, I would uh, address that here today. The first contrast we see is in Galatians 5, 19 and 22. In 19, it says the works of the flesh. But then when it comes to verse 22, it says the fruit of the spirit. We're going to find as we go through here that the, the word fruit and works is sometimes used uh, a bit interchangeably and depending on the context. But here it's not. And we're going to finish up uh, back on this scripture, uh, Galatians 5, 19 and 22, and compare those and see what, what the difference is between those two in case we've never uh, taken note of that before. Uh, I'd like to start in Luke 3.8. In Luke 3.8. And here, I didn't get my uh, computer fired up today. So I'm uh, doing it the old-fashioned way. In verse 8 it says, bring, bring forth fruits of bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham our, our father, for I say unto you, God is able to raise these stones, to, is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. But here we find Fruits worthy of repentance. There's an example of that also in the book of Luke back in chapter 19. And this is, Jesus is out doing his, his preaching and, and witnessing and he comes to a certain man who is, his name is Zacchaeus and he was chief among the tax collectors and he was rich. Uh, 19 verse, uh, let's start in verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was chief among the tax collectors. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not because of the crowd. For he was a little unstat short on stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must abide 
at your house. And he made haste and came down and received them joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, the half of my goods I gave to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So here Zacchaeus knew the things that he had done wrong, knew where he came up short before the teachings of Jesus. And he changed around his life and made restitution to those people that he cheated. An example of works of repentance or fruits of repentance, fruits being, in this case, works, a demonstrated behavior that one can look at and say, yes, this man, this person is indeed repenting and is taking it seriously. So we have their fruit of repentance. And as I already touched on uh, in Galatians 5.22, we see we have fruit of the Spirit, different a little bit of a different animal there, if we will. In both cases, Strong's number 590 is used for the, the word fruit. Next, I'd like to go through some of the scriptures that reference works. Matthew 5.16 Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men and I'm in the, the uh, King James I think I'll be there on every scripture today. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Strong's number here is 2041, and it means works, deeds, or labors. And in the usage in the Bible, in King James, it's for undertaking, or accomplishment, or acts, or deeds that one performs. So it's, it's pretty much meaning what the word works means. When we go to Matthew 7:22. This is the next one. We're going to find a different word of Strong's is used. It's, it's going to be Strong's 1141. My, my voice is a bit hoarse today, so hopefully I'm speaking loud enough and distinctly enough that you can all hear me all right. 722. Uh-oh. I don't think I have the right one. I don't have the right scripture there. 
Anyway, the one that I wanted, the, the, the term works. Oh, there it is. It's the very last word. And in thy name, many wonderful works. Okay. Uh, many will say, verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name have cast out demons and in your name done many wonderful works. Here the word works is Strong's number 1141. And it means, by definition, strength, power, ability, and even miracles. But it's somewhat of a different meaning here with the word works. And in usage in King James, it's power, it's applied, it's moral strength, it's miraculous power and influence. And we could go to, uh, or it can also mean powers in numbers or powers in the armies that they would have. And if we go back, and you see a, a little bit of that, if I can pull out this one scripture. In Ecclesiastes, I don't think I gave you this, Brian, but in Ecclesiastes 9.15, we have a little story about a man who um, knew his city was under siege by an army. And then we pick up the story in verse 15. Now there was found in it, the city, a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered the same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. And that goes to the definition here of works. Works by power, works by wisdom, works by miracles, works by ability. But continue on, continuing on, in Matthew, we'll go to chapter 16, verse 27. Here again we see the term works. 16:27. For the Son of Man shall come in his glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Here, the Strong's number is 4234. It's very similar to the very first one we looked at, 2041. It means deeds, works, office, business, or the apostles' doings, as far as the, I jumped over to usage on that, and it's usage in the King James, is the apostles' actions, transactions, business. But in uh, definition, very similar to the very first one, deeds and actual, actual works. And it should be noted there that based upon our works are, is what our reward will be determined by. The next, next scripture I want to go to, which once again references the works is in John 14, verse 12. <clears throat> verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, 
he shall do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Here, the word works is Strong's number 3187. It's interesting in that it means greater, elder, or more in quantity. In usage, in King James, it's larger or stronger. So, so far we've got one, two, three very distinct different meanings for the word works. And we're going to get, pick up one more over in the book of Acts. Acts 2, chapter 11. I mean, sorry, chapter 2, verse 11. Oops. Yep, that's it. Got it right. Cretans and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Here's Strong's Numbers 3167. Great things, wonderful works. Its usage is magnificence, excellence, and splendid. And this all comes together in a little bit of a summary. And it's back in Titus. Titus chapter 3. Verse 1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. And here he's talking about the Christ, Christian being subject to the principalities that are in power, the, the powers that be, to obey uh, magistrates, as long as there is no conflict with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And he says, to be ready to every, to every good work. Every good work. Well, we just went through five different definitions of what good works are. Going from words and deeds and labor to strength and power to numbers and larger and stronger to miracles, great things, wonderful things, and majestic things. That's a large quantity of things to consider in your life and your works that you and I and we would be doing. And it integrates in very well with the Spirit because some of these works can only be done through the Spirit when you get to the realm of uh, miracles. We're going to continue on reading in Titus chapter 3. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, and living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And certainly, I hate to say it almost, but we can see the manifestation of some of these things in our society, and it seems like it's definitely gotten worse here in the last more recent times, just in the last few months even. There you have one person doing it and all the rest are climbing out of the woodwork too to be emulating it. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because that's where, essentially, works and faith and fruits will spring from. And that is belief and hope. If you don't have hope and belief, then you have no focus. You have no foundation. Continuing in verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly that they may have belief, believed in God, might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And then he gives us some qualifications or some recommendations here uh, or instructions, perhaps is a better way to say it. Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonitions reject. The word heretic, if you look it up in Strong's, and I didn't put the number down, but it refers to making decisions. Making decisions that are not in harmony with the teachings of the scriptures, the teachings of Jesus and God the Father. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sins, being condemned of himself by his own words. When a person makes decisions, and those decisions are counteractive to his own words. The same things that he said verbally. And then he goes out and consciously takes an action that is diametrically opposed. The heretic. You don't have to be messing with him. And the scripture says, after the second admonition, you call him out on the second admonition. He's done. The third time he does it, he's done. Don't mess with him. Ephesians 5 says the same thing. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Fellowship, another word for that, comradeship. A close relationship, if you will. Because certainly you have to rub shoulders with them if you're going to reprove them. You can't reprove them. Of course, you can do it from a distance with radio and television and internet and letters and so on today. But generally speaking, he's not talking about isolating yourself away from them. You see them coming down the street. But you don't pal around with them. You don't give them any idea to believe that they're acceptable in what they're doing. You stand your ground on them. You tell them the truth, the opportunity to repent, change their ways, 
that they're going in about going about doing life, so that they themselves can also have a chance to be in the kingdom and repent. I had an opportunity uh, here recently to see some videos on some inmates in prison. And some of their attitudes are just absolutely appalling. Some of them might have been playing to the video camera too. They like to talk up and be macho and all. But in one case, this young fellow who was in prison who had a good relationship with an older man who was a professional musician who was, was on tour with some well-known talents. But he was never the starting act and he was never the primary act. He was one of these, uh, you know, they come, they come on before, come on before the main act. And after he retired from that, he opened a music shop and he ran across this young fellow. And the young fellow was uh, interested in music, and he took a kind of took him under his wing. He liked the fellow. He didn't know everything about him though, and the kind of life he was leading when he wasn't there, learning about music. And so one night, this this young man who had a duplicate duplicated the key to the store, went back in the store to steal a guitar. But what he didn't know was the owner of the store was late working that night in the back room. And when he heard it, he came out and confronted him. Long story short, the young man killed him. The young man killed him. Your guy was promoting him, teaching him how to play, teaching him how to write music, how to write lyrics, setting him in line to have career in music. And he kills a man. Anyway, he's been confronted with it after he's been arrested and and his lawyer told him, well, you, because you're young and all, you'll probably get five, seven years and be up for parole and they'll probably let you out. Well, the jury didn't see it that way. He gave him 25 years. He was a little upset with that whole deal. And when he was confronted about it, total self-justification. He should have known better than to trust me. It's his fault he's dead, not mine. Can you imagine someone having that kind of an attitude? I mean, it just, it just raises, I mean, you just want to grab the person, you know, give them a lick of their own medicine. <laughs> it's, but it's not a profitable thing for you spiritually to experience that. But he wasn't the only one. There was another one. Tough talking. Again, he's right. The more brazen he could be, the more hard he could be, the more aggressive he could be, the better he felt he was. And to think that there are people out there that are very close to those attitudes or already have those attitudes and just need an event to push them over the edge. And that's a bit of what's in our society today. So going back to Galatians 
5.19, he's talking about the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, wrath, fractions, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And... These works of the flesh, they also go to motivation. They go to goals or lack of goals. They go to happenstance, time of the moment. They go to those who we allow to influence us. I'm talking about how a person gets started, going down the road of the works of the flesh and then continuing into the point to where they will end up being institutionalized. It has to do with goals. It has to do with hopes. It has to do with motivation. It has to do with friendships. It all comes into play. We go over to Galatians 5.22 we find out, here he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, this is something different. There's a definite difference that he's talking about here because the, the motivations that you have as a, for the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit is totally different. Fruit grows on trees and you pick off the orange or the pear or it goes on a bush, like a tomato. You ever, you ever grow any tomato plants? First, there's a bud. It comes out, it's a little flower. The flower goes away, and this little green thing appears. And this green thing keeps getting bigger, bigger, bigger. And then it changes color from green to red until it gets really ripe. The reason it gets ripe is because it's connected to the plant. That's where it gets its nutrition. That's where it gets its water. That's why it grows. The fruit of the spirit grows because it's attached to the spirit. The fruit grows because the spirit is like the plant or the tree. When the spirit, when the fruit grows, it can grow in development, it can grow in the type of fruit. And it's a lifelong experience. And it really goes to our success in how well we can become like Christ in this age. Because to get there, as it says in Galatians 5.18, we'll go back to 5.18 and read that. But if you be led by the Spirit, 
So the fruit is grown by the Spirit. And here we're being led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, it requires patience. It requires humility. It requires focus on the proper goals. It requires having the proper motivations. It has to do with the proper application of principles and not misapplying principles. It requires an understanding. Most of this is the result of having the spirit and being fed with the bread of life. The bread of life came down from heaven. Jesus is his instructions, the studying of his word, imbibing of his word, so that it becomes part of who and what we are. And in doing so, we become a vital part of his purpose and his plan. And we can rest assured that when it says, you will get your reward based on your works, you can rest on that as a as a sure promise. And that should be a pretty good motivation because do you want to be a... This is a trick question. Do you want to, really, you want to be a rule over ten cities or just one city? Most of us on the surface might say ten cities. Think about that for a while. You might change your mind. <laughs> one city might be a little bit more easy to do. Anyway, I'll leave you to think on that. <coughs>